Welcome to Looks Like New on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder, and this is a show that asks old questions about new technology. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the old-fashioned radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. This month, our guest is my friend Cadwell Turnbull. Uh, The question that we're going to be exploring together today is, how do you invent the future? Cadwell is a science fiction writer whose first novel, The Lesson, was published last year in 2019, reaching the best of the year lists for all sorts of places like Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, and Kirkus. Um, It's also been optioned for a TV show, which I can't wait for. I hope that works out. Uh, He is about to start teaching fiction at North Carolina State University and is an activist for cooperative economics as a collective member for grassroots economic organizing, uh, as well as being a community fellow for the Media Enterprise Design Lab. So he's he's walking this this interesting line between um, fiction of the future and helping to create the future. And this is a line that um, we've been uh, walking at the Media Enterprise Design Lab for the last few years. A lot of what we do uh, deals with the future, with the lines between what is presently possible and what might be reasonable and what is out of bounds, especially in terms of how we design our media infrastructures and economies. And I've learned a lot from Cadwell um, uh, about thinking about the future. This is something he does for the living, for a living. And his first book, The Lesson, is really phenomenal about a disastrous alien kind of quasi-invasion maybe uh, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, also, his story published in The Verge, uh, the online um, uh, uh, news source, uh, Monsters Come Howling in Their Season, tells of hurricanes on St. Thomas uh, and an artificial intelligence that is actually accountable to the people it claims to serve, something kind of hard to believe. Um, activist Adrian Marie Brown writes that uh, the work of social change requires what she calls science fictional behavior. At a time when we're living through what um, a few months ago could have seemed like a science fiction story with a pandemic and uprisings and all sorts of other um, uh, related and unrelated happenings, it seems apt to talk with a, a sci-fi writer about how we might better think through our uh, current future present. Cadwell, welcome to Looks Like New. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, when did you first discover yourself as a storyteller? When did you first kind of take on uh, that identity and, and feel that that devoting yourself to that risky work of, of, of creating these things was, was worth the risk? Oh, man. Um, so I have the, the, the cheesy origin story and I have the um, <laughs> the more, <laughs> what I would say, the, the, the better story, which is, I mean, I think the cheesy story is actually the better story. I I was in middle school and I was um, I read the diary of Anne Frank for for a um, class assignment in English and my teacher um, assigned us um, an, an essay to write and I wrote an essay about the diary of Anne Frank and submitted it and she was she was so moved by it she um, asked me if I ever considered um, doing writing as a profession and it was the first time that that occurred to me and it was um 
and then immediately I started writing all sorts of stuff um essays more essays on my own time and writing fiction and reading fiction and um but I think that it started as a serious goal for me once I um decided to go to um school for it I got my undergrad in professional writing and that was a it was a broad degree so it was journalism and grant writing and technical writing and all sorts of stuff but I always intended to use it to write fiction how many people in a program like that are are trying to write fiction is that something where you a place where you're able to find a community um to some degree, um, there was a lot of people in the program that were interested in, in the journalism um, component. And I was interested in that as well. And I did do um, some journalism for a little bit. But um, in the creative writing courses, I did meet a few people that had similar aspirations. And um, it, was, um, it was just cool to, to meet people that wanted to do it, wanted to tell stories. Um, I didn't really meet a community, I would say of like serious um, fiction writers until I, I started at my MFA um, in creative writing at North Carolina State University. Now, tell us a little bit about how the science fiction business works as you've experienced it. I mean, every genre of, of media, of publishing, you know, often has its own kind of unwritten rules and its own networks and its own um, uh, its own kind of uh, logic. You know, for instance, my, my colleague at CU, uh, Christine Larson, has done a lot of work on romance writers and arguing that you know, they've been able to, to work through the digital turn in some really interesting ways because of kind of the unique logics of how their, um, how, the, how their scene works. Like how, how does sci-fi work these days? How, how, how does a new writer getting into this genre uh, start to uh, get a foothold? Um, so I could talk about the way that I did. Um, I was writing, I was in the MFA and I was submitting work to, to the workshop. And, um, while I was there, I got the opportunity to meet some people that also was writing science fiction, fantasy, horror, that sort of thing. And they talked to me about, um, Clarion and Clarion West, which were, um, these speculative fiction workshops. And they had... Um, actually come from those workshops before they went to the MFA. And so I asked them questions about it. I was like, what is what is the, this workshop and what is it like? I was coming from it, um, coming at it from a totally different angle. I had read some, some science fiction and fantasy when I was an undergrad and had decided I wanted to write in that genre, but I wasn't a part of the community. And so getting to talk to them about their experience at this workshop, which is um, one of the big workshops in the field, it gave me an, um, an impression of what the community might be like. And so I applied to Clarion West, mostly because um, that was the one that they talked most about. And I didn't really, I didn't really have an understanding that the, um, the practice was to apply to both. And so I applied to just Clarion West and I got in, luckily, um, on a story that was actually, um, that actually became part of the novel, The Lesson. And while I was there, it was just this like crash course in sci-fi fantasy as a community, because there was a lot of people there that had, not only were they writing in the field, they were published in the magazines. And I didn't know, I knew very little about the magazines going in. And so we had come, I asked a lot of questions about which 
which magazines were um were okay to send work to the kind of work that I was writing and they you know they were reading my work so you know they gave me advice um and also like you know like wait times like how long does it take a magazine to respond and so like you know it was there that I learned that like if if you wanted to submit some work the smartest place to go to first was Clark's World because Clark's World will respond to you in like a day or two it was always rejections in my <laughs> Makes case. Makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I At always see rejection, rejections come fast. Right, yeah. And so, you know, you kind of like, you kind of threw your work into the Clark's World slush first, um, got your rejection. Some people, you know, were lucky enough to get published. And then you would be able to, you'd feel like, okay, I can send this out to some other places after that. And before that, I had only like, I had stories I had submitted to places, but it was kind of haphazard. And it was only when I got into Clarion West that I, did I start thinking about a strategy or, or, or an approach to um, sending out stories. But part of that, um, the sending out of stories and the, the getting the rejections is that there's an there's a online community of people that um, share that information, share those details with each other. And so I joined like Codex and um, um, do i forgot what the other one was called it's been so long um submittable i think it was and in there you could talk to you could go on the forums and you could talk to people that had like their story was in the second round at fantasy and science fiction and you would um we would all share our like hopes and dreams you know with each other um and so that was the way that i got into the community through the people that were trying to break into the to the community and a lot of those people end up publishing in the in the um the short spec mags and eventually publish longer work and i i don't know am i am i answering the question yeah well and i'm also curious you know compared to for instance others in that you met in your mfa world you know like um in the among other writers do you think the science of speculative fiction community is like more competitive, less competitive, more collaborative. You know, how does it compare to say kind of um, other sorts of literary, what's called literary fiction, right? I would say it's very competitive, um, but I'd also say that there's, there's a really strong community aspect to it. And there's this kind of like weird, like um, balance or marriage of the two. And sometimes it's not a good balance, but you know, oftentimes, I find that um, the speculative community is 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 very supportive, and some of my experience with the literary side has been a little bit more competitive without as much support. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, especially submitting to the speculative mags, they have like a really, really small like um, acceptance rate, and so it's you're 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 writing and submitting to the same, I don't know like dozen magazines that everybody else is submitting to within the field it's not like a big like um the genre itself in terms of short fiction isn't isn't very large and not there's not a lot of um magazines that you can submit to and so submitting to all of those same magazines you kind of you are competing against your peers but what i also find is that these are the same peers that will look at your work and give you feedback um, these are the same peers that are going to boost your work if it does get published. There's, there's this um, combination of competition and support. Yeah. And in that scene, do you see like the, um, 
this phenomenon that I sometimes see articles about of, of sci-fi writers getting hired by like the military and, and by corporations to like think about futures, you know, that is this, is this a thing that is, is visible and present in that scene? Or is that just kind of something that, that appears in the news from time to time that, that these big institutions are turning to science fiction writers for some kind of instrumental purpose? I mean, okay, there's, okay, the way that I would answer that question is that no, it's not visible, but um, if, if you are a spec um, writer and you're writing short fiction, for example, you are submitting to everything that's available. And so you'll get, you'll get like a submissions call to something like that, a project like that, or somebody will solicit work from you um, through your inbox for a project like that. And because you are, you know, you're doing a hustle, you'll likely say yes because you want that opportunity and you you're thinking about like the um the platform to be able to like share your stories um so yeah and i've definitely gotten some some um solicitations in my inbox related to that kind of work and there's also i've also done that kind of work too with like within cooperative circles so it's it's um it's definitely a thing, but I don't think that I've ever seen within the community people um, being really caught up about it. No one's like, "Oh, I, I can't wait till the next like he- I get headhunted by the by the army." It's not it's not a thing <laughs> in that way. Yeah, yeah. And so, what what reality? You know, if, and tell me if this is this is a totally off base question. But when you decided you wanted to do um, sci fi speculative fiction, like did what what reality did you attach the fictions you're creating to you know were you trying is there something that you're trying to depict that you're trying to explore about the world that we live in that that you felt like you needed to do in this way you know for instance in in the lesson um the kind of uh framing context is that there's a there's an alien race that is kind of dressed up like humans that's living among um, people in the in the Virgin Islands and their ship is hovering over and you know is there do, do you feel like that is attached to a direct reality in your experience that something that you were trying to express through that um, through through that um, uh, motif or 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 is it something where the it something else where you're trying where it's not necessarily directly attached to a, um, a present reality that you're trying to trying to play with for me it is definitely attached to um the present reality either like critiquing or exploring some present reality so with the lesson i i wrote that um that novel to talk about for example one thing colonialism and talk about like america's relationship to um the u.s virgin islands but i also wanted to talk about that in a broader sense you know um someone who's under the um, the heel of power and how that affects their relationship to to each other and their relationship to that power. And so for, for me, and I would argue for a lot of science fiction writers, there is definitely a way that science fiction is a, a really smart approach to talking about now. Um, I also, you know, really like aliens, you know? So it's, it's, it's a bit of fun too. It's, um, I grew up watching you know all of the all of the space shows i watched um stargate sg1 was my favorite show growing up for a while and i still 
go back and watch episodes of it. I still think the season finale, the series finale of the show is one of the most brilliant um, hours of TV. Um, but it's when I when I approach my fiction, it's definitely a mix of me just being a nerd for those things and also me using those things to talk about things that I think are really important. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, I was reading the book while I was I'm also in the middle of the um, the old CLR James Black Jacobins book about about the uh, independence war in Haiti. And, you know, this is a couple centuries earlier and, and it's not science fiction, but it, it, it they were so there, there was a, a kind of um, resonance between them, you know, the the exper- experience of an island in which these different worlds are colliding. Um, and so it just it just read as so true, you know, to that uh, to that experience and to this, um, you know, this time where people were were first generation uh, uh, slaves brought from from Africa, and you know, suddenly found themselves in just kind of a totally different world. And this island becomes the container for for all of that. Um, it, it, it's an incredible combination. Um, so you're listening to Looks Like New. We've been speaking with Cadwell Turnbull, who's a science fiction writer, author. Of the his first novel uh, came out just last year, The Lesson. And stick with us. We'll be right back. to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. Uh, we're speaking again with Cadwell Turnbull, science fiction writer and author of The Lesson. Um, Cadwell, I want to turn now to your uh, work around cooperatives and, and, um, and uh, solidarity economy. And, you know, curious, first of all, like when you're doing the two, you know, you're part of a community that works on building the cooperative movement you're writing uh, uh, science fiction. Uh, do they feel like two different hats? How do they feel in relation to each other in, in your life? So um, in terms of fiction, it, it feels like the same hats. I definitely am, even when the story isn't about solidarity economics, I'm finding ways to kind of plug that in. Um, I make it make sense. Um, but in terms of organization, it's definitely two different spheres that I'm trying to balance in. So in in speculative fiction, despite the fact that, you know, a lot of the people that write it are forward thinking, they're not particularly like tapped into um, the co-op movement. And they we don't we don't organize in that way per se. We don't we don't try there's not a lot of like like speculative fiction co ops, I'd say. But so and so tell us a bit about the kind of work that you're doing in the on the cooperative side these days. I mean, a lot of the work that I'm trying to do right now is trying to make those two spheres the same sphere. I'm trying to merge them. Um, 
so that, you know, I'm not doing double work. I'm kind of doing stuff that feed into each other. And um, one of the things that I've been working on with some um, cooperators is this um, speculative co-op game. So we're doing like a role play and where like we created a co-op in this, um, you know, alternate earth where there's more co-ops and where we're imagining some conflicts for that co-op and we've built some characters together and we, we perform those characters on Zoom calls. We like, we call each other up and we, um, we actually use, um, Jitsi, I think. And, um, we, we just go back and forth to, two person, two people play a, a character and we, we kind of discuss what, what we would say in that character's voice. And then we kick it over to the next person and uh, that next person is is being run by two people and we do that um for for the hour the hour and a half and we have each like character a, is is has two puppet masters yeah yeah this, this is just how we did it we created three characters to start and there's six of us there's usually six of us there's sometimes more and we two characters play that one one of the characters that we create and we have like a game master that sets the scene and kinds of um and they kind of like steer the um the gameplay for that session another thing that i've been trying to do is um trying to make the speculative side more co-op and so i've been um i've been playing around and developing this idea called many worlds which is like um a cooperatively um run multiverse and so it's um each writer the way that the way that I would describe it is that instead of like um, producing, um, like if you if you're starting a co-op, instead of like producing funds to start the co-op, I've created this like um, this project where you can like um, donate a story and the story world to this multiverse, and that we are all agreeing that this the worlds that are being added are a part of this larger whole that we get to play in and get to interact and um, collaborate on. And is that among mainly writers or or kind of more the activist set? Right now it's among writers. And right now I've, I've been kind of um, building it as, you know, like a, like, a, like a speculative fiction project like they've seen before. So I'm using like a, a magazine-like model. I have like a solicitation... Um, um, I I give them like a, uh, what do, what are they called? I I solicit them, and they I tell them the kinds of work that I'm looking for and the word count, and then they submit stories that they think might fit into the multiverse. Now, I mean, do you feel some tension between these in the sense that you know often political writing is very you know not not always and often not the best but often it's it's very kind of like um uh uh, straightforward and linear and you know this is the reality this is the problem this is the solution right um often very sure of itself right and um whereas fiction often seems to um you know come alive when there isn't a clear answer, right? When when the 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 clarity that one often sees in a in a an op ed in in you know whatever newspaper of record, um, uh, you know if, if if a story were to adopt that kind of certainty and clarity, it wouldn't be any fun to read, um, right? You know, I mean, do do you, um, 
do, do you encounter that tension as you're bringing some of these ideas, which are often very political and very, you know, a lot of people in the co-op movement just see, you know, cooperatives as the answer to everything, right? As, you know, it's just you need to drop this solution into as many places as possible and our problems will be solved. And it, it would seem like fiction pretty quickly, you'd start to see some of the some of the wrinkles there and, and, and you'd you'd end up having to do a really different kind of thinking than what often people are doing in the in the political realm. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that is the difference. And, you know, as a as a writer that really enjoys um, subtlety and ambiguity, I find that the kind of stories that I want to tell that are that are cooperative, I want them to be ambiguous, I want them to be difficult, and I want them to be conflict rich. So um, I've been seeing in the gameplay when we're doing this this role playing game, um, the cooperators are bringing that to the table though, and they're doing it in a way that they wouldn't do it, or I don't see often done in the um, the the you know the editorial about co ops. Like I've, I'm seeing, we're very much getting into like the character flaws and how that plays into really um, interesting dynamics within a co op and how someone different people have different visions and different people have different motivations and um there's really big conflicts that um that no one has an answer to there's this um particular we're in a section of the story where there's this large um platform co-op that is making a deal with this very small scale um distribution co-op that is it's like locally organized and they're like we want you to be a vendor on our website our platform and you know different people within the co-op the different characters that we've created have different feelings about that and concerns some are very much excited about that that um, prospect other people are kind of apprehensive because they worry it might be like an amazon situation that eventually this this um this platform co-op that has a lot of um venture capitalist funding might corrupt the local co-op in ways that they might not be able to control against and so, and the answer to that is very messy. And so we came up with a story answer based on arguments that the characters made. So it wasn't, it wasn't based on what we think the right thing would be, would be to do in that case. And we didn't talk about it in those terms. We talked about it in, okay, these characters that are in the room right now, how would they solve this problem? How would they answer that problem? And I find that much more interesting than reading an editorial about why co-ops are the answer like dealing with the murkiness of how to navigate these kinds of decisions because no one can tell the future in this story right and we don't even know where the story is going and so these characters have to make decisions um without even knowing if this is going to turn around and blow blow up their their own the thing that they've set up the thing that they've made and i think that's really interesting and at a time where where like the line between fact and fiction is so weird in our politics more generally like what what is what does it mean to do politics um through fiction today i mean is it different now than or is this just kind of orwell all over again i mean when we have you know candidates running on uh for congress on on um you know qAnon platforms and and you know where where you know you have like just incredible falsehoods being preached as kind of mainstream political discourse you know it, it does fiction 
feed that? Does fiction, where does fiction play in a, you know, in a world where like the fiction is everywhere in a certain sense? I would say, I mean, I feel like this goes back to a question you asked earlier that I didn't answer with this, but I think I should, um, should talk about now is that especially in the, um, the speculative community, there is a lot more discussion and exploration of politics. And the justification that a lot of people that are writing about this stuff are making is that everything's political already and that it would be dishonest to write fiction that isn't political. Like the things that we do in our lives are influenced by the politics around us. It's influenced by the policy. It's influenced by who's in charge. Um, And we, you know, as people living in this era, we have to be politically engaged, even if we don't want to. It's just, it's in, it's in everything. There's no way to avoid the politics. And so, I, I mean, one of the things that I recognize too about the, the speculative community now is that there's a lot of people of um, diverse backgrounds in it. And so they're bringing their experience to the table. They want to talk about what it's like to be um, um, a black person in America or to be um, 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 genderqueer in America. Um, but they also want to talk about being a vampire, you know, like these things and these things, um, when you merge the two, you get to explore interesting themes. You get to, you know, it's, it's just a really cool opportunity to take these fantastic tropes that we're used to and merge it with things that are very real and lived in. And it's exciting for a lot of folks. It's exciting to read. Um, and it, it makes it like a really, um, I would say, you know, it makes it a very interesting time to be in the field. Yeah, I mean, there's, I'm curious about whether you perceive it as, you know, for instance, in your MFA experience as more, again, in comparison to the, um, to other uh, genres of fiction, or again, this kind of, this kind of construct, this allegedly kind of neutral construct of literary fiction, right, which has this interesting history with the Cold War, you know, a lot of um, journals and MFA programs were, you know, were learning more and more or had histories of being funded through U.S. government agencies looking to create certain kinds of fiction that kind of emphasized individual freedom and, and de-emphasized the collective and the political. Um, has, you know, are there debates in, in science fiction and speculative fiction about, like, what it means to be political in this, in this uh, in this context, is there a pushback uh, against being political that, that somehow kind of um, uh, reduces the stature of, of the art? Or is, or is this a space that is able, has license to, to explore things that, um, you know, that, that again, literary fiction has, um, has been pushed away from? Right. Um, so, okay, there's, it's, it's a very hard answer because I see, I do see pushback in the field about um, using, talking about current politics, but I see it from, from people that have been kind of like, I wouldn't, there was a, there was a dominant way of talking about science fiction that kind of erased a lot of people. And now that more and more people from different backgrounds are writing fiction in the field and they're writing fiction that that um, engages with their politics, um, you see a lot of, um, you know, the old guard responding to that in negative ways. But some of that stuff feels very, um, 
very right wing. You know, there was this big dust up um, in the field with the sad and mad puppies. Um, and that was definitely coming from a, um, a Wait, side. T- tell us, a, what are you, what are you, what are, who are the sad and mad puppies? So, okay. Um, this was this was before my time, so I don't want to mess this up. But it there was a time in the field where um, a lot of a lot of the people that were winning awards were people from marginalized backgrounds. You know, there was more women winning awards, and that upset people. There was more people of color winning awards. There was more um, LGBTQIA people winning awards, and so you know, in response, there was this you know. I would say very um, right-wing um, attack on the, the award system and people were trying to like game the system to get their, you know, their favorite writers, um, you know, nominated. And a lot of these, you know, writers were writing like things like um, military sci-fi and that kind of thing. Like, you know, things that kind of um, propped up certain American ideals that are unsavory. <laughs> and so... Um, this 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 went on and it continues to go on. In fact, there's still like rumblings of it, but um, it went on for quite a, a while. And it, you know, a lot of the the Nebulas and the Hugos and all of the different awards had to like change their um, their metrics for determining you know who would get nominated because people were trying to like exploit the weaknesses of the award system. And so that is happening. People are critiquing, bringing in politics, but it's certain politics. And it's, you know, a lot of the people from the other side, the people from, I, would, I guess, my side would argue that um, the, 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 the stuff that these um, writers were publishing had politics in them. You know, if you read them, you would see the politics, you know, it's, but those politics were normalized. Those things were the things that were okay to write about for a very long time because it was um it represented a worldview that was very dominant but also very restrictive of other worldviews um and so yeah you do see it um the the other thing i would say though is that i don't know i my suspicion is this conversation is also happening in in the literary sphere but what I would argue is that it's becoming increasingly hard to make the draw the line between what's speculative and what's literary anyway. And there's a lot of writers that have for their entire career straddled those lines, but there's also a lot of writers that make those lines very murky. And by, by writing about things that we are dealing with right now and just extrapolating it a little bit, you know, like if, you know, this scenario that we're living in right now would have been a speculative novel by like a, like a very smart, like literary adjacent speculative fiction writer a couple years ago. You know, they would imagine 2020 with a pandemic of this size, you know, and how that would affect the world. I mean, a, a good example of this is um, Sarah Pinsker um, won the, the Nebula this year on a novel that predicted um, like the music scene during a pandemic. And she was not intending to write about COVID, but, you know, she just happened to write a novel during the time of COVID. And there was a lot of other um, speculative fiction writers that was writing about pandemics and had the, you know, the weird um, situation of having their work being published during a pandemic. And there was um, there was another writer, I think his, um, his name was Mike Chen, and he wrote a novel about a pandemic and 
he had a a um a reader like in, um dm him saying that um he thought it was very distasteful that he would write about this right now it's too soon um and he was just like i wrote about this like 2 years ago like this went through the whole publishing process and just came out you know and so there's two arguments to this there's the there's the there's always been politics in literary fiction as in sci-fi um it's just whose politics were they and also what is speculative fiction in an era of like ai and pandemics like this is we are living in that world you're listening to looks like new we're talking with cadwell turnbull science fiction writer uh, and author of the lesson we'll be right back This month, we're speaking with sci-fi writer Cadwell Turnbull about the question of how do you invent the future? Now, before the break, Cadwell, you were talking about writers who had been writing about pandemics and whose work just came out at this um, at this moment uh, and, you know, were accused of, you know, writing about it too soon or something like that. But it's just a reminder that this kind of thing that we're living through is what um, is what often counts um, as science fiction or speculative fiction. Um, do you have you felt uh, that as someone who who spends your time doing this kind of imagination that um, this moment has felt more comprehensible to you? Have you felt like you're more at home in it in a certain way than others, or uh, or you know, or is it something else? I mean, or or do, is your mind already moving toward the next? Uh, the next step of of um, weirdness and and uh, seeming impossibility. I think I would say that, in some ways, it feels like I'm unsurprised by what's happening, and in other ways, it's very surprising. Like I I have the same shock that everybody else has, but I can see the steps. So like if if out coming out of this, you know, we take a dystopian turn, you know, it's something it's this i i've seen the steps like i can it's a thing that i think about and what i write about so it's it wouldn't be particularly surprising if we take a utopian turn that also is something that would be surprising but i've already spent a lot of time thinking about and a lot of you know people within the community think about those things you know they think about what are the steps that would take us from where we are now to a very bad future and it's like one of the things that would take us there is something like this, <laughs> you know, um, what would take us towards a good future, something like this. And so it's um, having having the opportunity through the work to imagine these types of scenarios does in some way prepare you for some of the things that come out of these scenarios. But it doesn't it doesn't prepare you for the specifics or how it would feel like it feels you can imagine what a person in this world might feel 
but to feel it yourself or to feel new feelings that you did you could not have imagined it's it's, it's very different reality right now is so much stranger than fiction yeah i, I mean it's it's um I, I i keep thinking of how um and, and it happens over and over like how my mind always wants to drift back toward like uh saying you know this isn't you know as big a deal as it seems or or like um you know it's going to be over and we're going to go back to normal and then other people around me i experience this you know saying like no 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 just get used to it like we're in a very different world and you know and they seem like able to wrap their heads around that sort of experience right and and in the same way in in the lesson you know you have as these aliens they're not just it's not like independence day where the aliens are kind of like obviously doing a certain thing um you know it's it they arrive and it's not clear what they're there for and they're kind of lurking among among people and so there's this so you see the characters like all having different reactions you know some are really entering into the reality fully and 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 wanting to be part of it and wanting to be kind of on the front lines of what's happening and some who are refusing to participate at all and you know just want everything to go back to where where it was um and so you know it's it's a uh uh you know, it's an exercise and I think we're discovering something about our own preparedness. At least I am, you know, um, you know, much to my disappointment, you know, <laughs> uh, where, you know, I've been writing and studying you know, about and, and involved in movements for, you know, revolutionary change for years and years. And it's making me realize like, wow, would I, could I really tolerate, you know, a revolution were it to come, you know, as, as were the rules to change so fundamentally? Um, you know, what would I, what would I actually do? Right. And I mean, it's been, I've thought a lot about that in the past, you know, this, you know, if the world was to radically change in the positive way that we'd hope, like how, how difficult it would be to, for some people to adjust. Um, and so this is, this is one of the reasons why I kind of like gravitated towards the co-op solidarity movement, because I thought that it was good practice for a more democratic or more consensus-based world. You have people doing that, that work on a smaller scale and it, it would prepare them for larger scale um, moves in that direction. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, looking at this moment right now and feeling like just a profound exhaustion of just trying to keep up with everything, it, it, it really drives home that, you know, big change should take some time. Like, you know, you need to be able to walk through it and talk about it and think about it thoughtfully. Um, it's it's not something that, you know, someone can, you can't just depend on people to like, just nap their whole worldview into a new worldview. It, it definitely should take time and seeing how we're having difficulty adjusting right now, it's evidence of, you know, taking time. Now, as you're about to go into teaching, um, and teaching people to write fiction in a moment like this. Are there particular exercises or assignments that you've been starting to, to, to imagine up? And how does, how does one teach uh, science fiction in general? Is that, you know, is there a different kind of pedagogy that you're, that you're thinking about, about uh, entering into? So, I, I mean, I've been, of course, you know, of course, I've been thinking about this, too, and I've been, you know, quite nervous about it because I've been a writer for for a while now and I've been thinking about it through the writing lens. And of course, I've um, 
workshopped and critiqued other writers work and you know that that is that is a part of the community and you know a lot of writers are used to that kind of engagement with other people's work um and i'll be doing a lot of that when i'm teaching um but i think i need to learn a lot too about how to think about writing um and I, i'm not just teaching spec fic writers i'm teaching literary writers as well and so I have to think about literary theory now and um, narratology and all of all of these things that I've kind of like moved away from since um, my MFA days. And so returning back to that, it's going to be for me just a big um, just as much a big learning um, time for me as it is will be for the students. Like I'll be learning along with them. And um, I've just been thinking about how to approach that and how to do that right now um we've i just had to change one of my courses to primarily online because um you know in north carolina things are getting things are getting a little worse and the the truth of the truth of it is i don't know a lot of these a lot of these things i'm going to kind of have to figure out as i go it feels surreal that i'm making this transition right now it kind of it's been it's been difficult to attach myself to this change because everything else is changing and um part of it is just i'm like telling myself okay just take it one day at a time wait and see the other part of it is like this is a this is a profoundly important moment and it's a really good opportunity to think about that line it's one of the things i really want to do is um question the line between spec and literary and that i want to engage my students in that questioning it's like what makes a thing literary and i do this in the lesson too i have um after the aliens arrive there's fiction about the aliens arriving and they the literary writers have to decide what makes their work literary versus the spec writers and the, they make they make interesting decisions like the literary writers decide that they're gonna only have normal people watching footage of aliens on tv or through the media, but their normal lives are unchanged. Um, but what happens if you're like, you know, set, if you're set, if you're living in a place like the Virgin Islands, where in the story, the aliens are actually just there walking around. And so it's, um, it's an interesting question I bring up in the book. I'm working on another book where, um, where monsters from Caribbean folklore and popular culture come out of the shadows is contemporary fantasy. And I'm asking that same question, like what would fiction look like in a world where that is true? And so now it's, you know, the, the question I would want to bring to my students is like, what will fiction look like after this? Like, where do we draw the lines now? In the work you're, 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 you're doing now, are you finding that this moment is affecting how you're forcing you to push push in a different direction or, or is it, is it shaping this, the kind of story you're telling? Is it informing it? I mean, I find that, so what's interesting, right? I was watching Space Force on Netflix the other day and a lot of it is set in 2020 um, and 2021 and no one's wearing masks, you know, like it's, it's, um, it's immediately dated despite the fact that they made it, you know, they made it, they must have developed it in 2019, imagining, and 2020 would have been their future. And 2024, some of it is also said in 2024, would be their their distant future. But you can already see how that stuff wouldn't look the same now. Like, 
that are we'll have to imagine the future different with COVID in mind, um, which some people might be annoyed at. It's it's um I know I've had conversations with writer friends who are dreading all the COVID fiction that's going to come out of this time, <laughs> but. <laughs> there's no way to imagine the future without this in it it's too big well it's it's an i wonder because um you know what one um phenomenon of the the previous pandemic you know the uh uh 1919 influenza right was um was how quickly it was sort of forgotten right i mean Mm -hmm. people who experienced it you know, didn't forget it. It marked families, you know, um, some of, you know, for instance, um, uh, some, some of our family members have been asking, you know, uh, those who were around then or who who knew people around then, like, did this affect us? And, you know, the answer is yes. And then the other answer is why did we never hear about this? Right. And, and, um, it's so for such a dramatic event, it is so little a part of the global story, at least maybe until now, Mm-hmm. Um, because maybe World War One was happening at that moment as well, and so there were there was this choice about like what was the story we tell about ourselves, and the story of the war kind of prevailed over the story of the of the pandemic. Maybe in part because the war is something that like people were in some way in charge of, um, and so it's a you know and there's a, a kind of heroism in it that's hard harder to find in the context of you know fighting an illness. Um, but it, it makes me wonder whether um, you know, it'll have that kind of um, scarring, you know, whether it will be kind of forgotten or whether it will have an effect like, uh, you know, like the Black Plagues in Europe where it, you know, indelibly impacts, you know, for instance, the f- forms of depiction of Christ, you know, these kind of gruesome images appear in that time and um, uh, all sorts of different kinds of cultural uh, forms emerged and out of that, out of that devastating experience, you know, and, and, and with masks, you know, will we um, go back to, you know, a world in which these no longer exist? Or as in many, you know, Asian countries where um, these, um, where there have been more recent, you know, uh, run-ins with, with uh, infection, uh, masks have become kind of this normal present thing that, you know, uh, uh, persist even after the, uh, the moment passes. You know, it's just... It, to me, it's it's un, you know it's really hard to say um, uh, about how it will actually affect us in the end and what we'll choose to take from it. I I would agree. It's it's hard to tell what would happen. Um, I do think that some of the things that I wasn't alive during the <laughs> the Spanish flu um, um, pandemic, but um, one of the things that I think is going to come out of this is this you know fundamental. There's, there's a lot of um, questions of institutions of authority right now coming out of this. And a lot of the ways that we expected, we were insulated from something like this. Like there was a lot of people, and I don't know if this was true, but, you know, in, in with prior generations, but I do think that modern people are believe that there's going to be a vaccine for everything. You know, like there's just... There's just an expectation of this isn't something that we go through, and so it's um, I feel like our response to it is going to be very different, and uh, and also there's. I don't I don't know enough about the Spanish history, but the impact on like the global economy 
has been really like devastating for a lot of people and it's the most devastating thing in modern memory so it's it's um it's one of those things that i also think it's gonna that's gonna come out of this as well but the way it might come out of it is just um you know a certain attitude a certain cultural attitude or a certain type of media or you know it's it's going to be hard to pin down. There's going to be ways that this too will just be eaten by, you know, the, you know, progress, progress. We move forward no matter what's happening, but something about music is going to be different. Something about media is going to be different. Something about the, the kids growing up in this era is going to be slightly different than the kids before. And we'll, we'll write op-eds about it. We'll be like the COVID kids, you know, you know, there's going to be something, um, because, it's it's too big not to leave some kind of impact. But I think you're right. I don't know if it's going to be... I, I'm not sure if it's going to be like complete drastic change or 180 from the way we've always been doing things. But I do see in some places we're asking different kinds of questions because we're in this now. It really has like shown our vulnerabilities. Um, particularly, you know, a lot of, a lot of people coming out of this are going to be pro universal healthcare that weren't before, you know, they're going to, there's going to be people that believe in, I don't know, universal basic income or jobs guarantee or all kinds of things that they wouldn't have entertained before because there was, there wasn't anything like this that would make it impossible to do business as usual, as usual, or expect everybody to have a job or to have, or expect everyone to have like reasonable options for healthcare. This is just totally breaking all of the it's it's making real all of the ways that we're already broken. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm and a lot of things that were once science fiction are are starting to feel a lot closer at hand. Um yeah. now uh t uh before we wrap up, can you just tell us a little bit about what you have coming up in addition to uh, the lesson, a great novel that's available now? Uh, what, what, where else can people find you? What, what can people look forward to reading? Um, a couple weeks ago, I was in um, an anthology triptych called a dystopia triptych, um, and it's it's uh, it's imagining um, each writer um, submitted work that was imagining like the time before a dystopia, during the dystopia, and after dystopia, and so everyone has their their own dystopia in the book. And um, mine explores um, what if America um, had a job for everyone and required everyone to work. And what, you know, if depending on how you do that, especially if you do it, you know, in a way that promotes private, you know, subsidy, like sub subsidizing private industry to do this kind of work, what would it look like? And making parallels to like slavery and the black codes and all of these different things that would be relevant. Um, and so that's that's out. That came out a couple of weeks ago. You can find it on anywhere. Um, and I've just recently wrote an article in Wired about dystopia and utopia and thinking about the dystopian aspects of America and uh, and having the um, being daring enough to imagine a utopian future um, that just came out today. I have another anthology that I'm a part of coming out in September called 12 Entanglements. And it's just imagining um, relationships in the future with technology that's coming out at MIT Press. Um, and I'm working on a, a trilogy. Um, and the first book, I just finished 
uh, my seventh round of edits. I'm going into another round of edits of it. Um, and I'm also trying to start the second book in a series. And that, that series is called um, No Gods, No Monsters. And it um, imagines a world where monsters from Caribbean folklore, from popular folklore, from global folklore um, are advocating for their human rights. It's a lot to it's a lot to look for. That's that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cadwell. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking with Cadwell Turnbull, uh, a uh, speculative fiction writer, uh, author of uh, The Lesson, a fantastic book that just came out uh, in 2019. We've been talking about the question of how do you invent the future? I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. Looks Like New is a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab, and you can find out more about our work at colorado.edu slash lab slash medlab. If you've liked this show or any of our other stuff, please uh, spread the word and uh, tell others about it and leave a review if you're into that sort of thing. I'd also love to hear uh, from you with comments and guest ideas, and you can reach me at medlab at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us next month. Thanks very much.